Good morning, everybody, and uh, I want to welcome all of you to Plum Creek, especially if you happen to be new around here. We are in the middle of a series right now called Why Church? And as we saw in the video just now, there is a wide range of opinions in our world about Christianity, about church. Some people see great value in being a part of a local church. Others, though, they really don't see the point. And some people see the church as a positive thing. They, they, they see it as a force for good. But others see it as negative and harmful. Now, I'll be honest, it makes me really sad to hear the one guy in that video saying that he hates church and he thinks the whole thing should be eliminated. But I know he's not alone in that view. And the truth is, the church's reputation has taken a hit over the years especially here recently. But is that negativity fair? Is that based on reality? In some cases, I'd say the negativity is very much unfair. But in other cases, I'd have to say the criticism is deserved because there have been people who claimed to be Christians and they've done some terrible things in the name of the church. So in this series... We're asking honest questions, and we're looking back at God's original design for the community of people who follow Jesus. Over the past couple of weeks, we've asked questions like, why was the church started, and who is it for? Today, though, we're asking, according to God and according to the Bible, what should the church look like? What should the church look like? Now, that's a very broad question, and there's a lot we could say about this, but let's begin by going to the book of Acts in the Bible. Many of you know that the book of Acts tells the story of the church. It begins with an account of those early days in Jerusalem, but then as the book goes on, Christianity becomes a movement that spreads across the world with explosive growth. And in the earliest part of the church's history, things went really pretty well. The early Christians were committed and faithful, and they built a community that was truly centered on Jesus. At the same time, though, we can't say that the church was ever functioning perfectly because from the very beginning, the church was made up of flawed human beings. And that's kind of the point of Christianity, you know. We're all flawed people. We all need the mercy and the grace that only comes from Jesus. So the church has always had its imperfections, but there was a moment in time when this community was very close to what God had originally designed. We get a snapshot of this moment in Acts chapter 2. Let's read this together, Acts 2 starting with verse 42. It says, they, the early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Now, that description sounds almost like a, a utopian community, like, like the church didn't have any real problems or conflicts. But like I said, this is one snapshot in time, and those imperfections I mentioned cropped up pretty quickly. But what we see here is a pattern. We do see this design for what the church should look like. And if we use this passage as a reference, reference point for today's question, here's what we could say. The church should look like a family, but not just any family, because you and I know that families can be messy and stressful and full of conflict. But the family of believers in Jesus should look different than that. The church should look like a family with a reputation for extraordinary love, love for God, for each other, and for others. You know, the word love did not appear in the passage that we read from Acts 2, but we do see evidence of that love all over the place, don't we? These people spent so much time being together, worshiping God together. It says they met in the temple courts every day. They shared meals together. They shared material possessions with each other. There, there was no hoarding in this community. And the outside world noticed Did you catch that? It says the church in those days enjoyed the favor of all the people. And every day their numbers grew. Outsiders found salvation in Jesus. And they joined this family. And that makes sense to me because if I had been in Jerusalem in the first century and I was on the outside of the church looking in, I would be thinking, man, I've never seen a group of people like that that cares for each other like that. I wonder if they got room for me. And apparently, that was happening all over the place. The church was growing, and it wasn't because of some cool factor they had going on. It wasn't because of some impressive show that they put on. It was because these people had been transformed by Jesus. These people were a living demonstration of the love and the power of Jesus Christ. And of course, outsiders would be drawn to that. Now, for our purposes today, we need to figure out, is it possible for today's church to look like that community in Acts chapter 2? Well, unfortunately, um, there are some things about that environment that we just can't recreate today. For example, we don't have the original apostles like Peter and John working miracles in our midst. However, we can learn quite a few lessons from the early church and apply those lessons to our time. For instance, let's put uh, Acts 2.42 back up on the screen. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So that verse gives us the simple pattern of the early church. We see the building blocks of this community. They focused on four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, does the average church spend time on these four things today? Well, we certainly do here at Plum Creek. Uh, We do focus on the apostles' teaching, which means spending time in Scripture, listening to God speak to us through His Word. We do emphasize fellowship here, too, which means uh, building relationships with other believers, with others in the church. 
And we also prioritize the breaking of bread, which is not just eating together, but also sharing in the Lord's Supper or communion, which just happened a few minutes ago. And finally, we have made it our goal to be a praying church. And prayer is just speaking to God, pouring our hearts out to Him, and and that happens individually and collectively as a group. So when you look at that list, I would say that our church does participate in all of those activities. However, there's a word in Acts 2.42 that sets the early Christians apart. You know what it is? It's the word devoted. Devoted. Think about this. In an average week, how much time do we devote to these four things? If we added up the minutes in each activity, how do you think Christians today would compare to the early church? I'm pretty confident that the early Christians would have a much higher total than we do now. So that leads me to another question. If we became more committed to these four things today, is it possible that we would see the power of God show up more uh, to a greater extent in our lives and in our church? I would say that's more than possible. I believe it's more than likely. I believe we could expect it. See, when a church gets serious about following the plan and the pattern that God has laid out for us in His Word, we open the door for God's Holy Spirit to do great things in us and through us. The question is, how devoted are we? Do we want the same things that God wants? And are we willing to make personal sacrifices in order to pursue God's plan for us, both individually and as a church? If you are a follower of Jesus, these are important things to consider. So let's use a specific example to help us think about this. Uh, In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says something very interesting. Let's read John 17, starting with verse 20, where Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. When he says them, he's talking about the, the, the original disciples there. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So now, what is Jesus doing here? He's praying for everyone who will believe in him from that day on. He's praying for everyone who will become a Christian from the first century all the way to our century and even beyond. So if you are a part of the church today, you are one of the people that Jesus is praying for here. Jesus prayed for you. How cool is that? But what was his request? Let's go back to the verse. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what was the desire of Jesus here? Jesus prayed that his church would be unified that all of his followers would function as one body and one family, working together as one team. And when that unity became a reality, what would be the result? This is huge, isn't it? If the church could be unified, then the world would see that extraordinary love, and they would what? They would believe. They would believe. 
Just like those early days in Acts chapter 2 when people looked in from the outside and they were drawn to this amazing community where everyone seemed to really care for each other. So let's do a quick assessment here. In the time since Jesus, how would you evaluate the church when it comes to living out this prayer, uh, this prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17? I think we'd have to agree. Things have not gone very well. This week I found a chart that is both fascinating and very sad at the same time. This chart shows how over the centuries the church of Jesus has splintered into different groups. It's divided again and again. You may not be able to read all the captions here, but that's okay. You can still get the idea. You you see the single blue line in the upper left-hand corner? That's where the church started. And at that point... Christians were united as one. But then as time goes by, one group breaks away, and then another group, and then another. By the end, you've got all these different factions. Everything from Eastern Orthodox Christians to Roman Catholics to Lutherans to Baptists to Pentecostals. Way more varieties than I have time to mention here. But as we look at that chart, let's think about the prayer of Jesus. He prayed that all of his followers would be one. And he said the unity of his church would be a major factor in helping the rest of the world come to believe in him. So for all of us who follow Jesus here today, we have to ask, does it bother us that the church has become so divided? Does it bother us to the point that we're willing to do something about it? And I'll tell you this, One of the reasons that I'm here at Plum Creek is because this is a congregation that is committed to following God's pattern for the church. You may or may not know this, but Plum Creek is a part of a movement of churches that started about 200 years ago in the early days of America. And around that time, there was a group of Christians who saw the kind of division that we see in this chart, and they said, this is not what Jesus wanted. Is there some way to get back to the original pattern? And one of the individuals in this group was a Presbyterian minister named Barton W. Stone. Stone got, to, got together with a handful of other Presbyterian leaders, and he said, what if we drop the extra names and we just call ourselves Christians? A revolutionary idea. Stone and the other leaders actually wrote out something called The Last Will and Testament of the Springfield Presbytery, which said, we will that this body die, be dissolved, and sink into union with the body of Christ at large. For there is but one body and one spirit. So that was the idea. They, they didn't want to start a new denomination. They just wanted to identify with all other genuine Christians in the hopes that the church could be unified. And before long, there were churches all around the country willing to do the same thing. Barton W. Stone teamed up with a man named Alexander Campbell. And for a while, this this movement was one of the fastest-growing groups, fastest-growing Christian groups in the United States. Now, a lot of things have happened since that time. Some good, some bad. Uh, But the bottom line is, this is the spiritual heritage of Plum Creek Christian Church. Plum Creek 
is a part of a movement that seeks to unify Christians around the truth of Scripture and the New Testament pattern for the church. Now, the second half of that statement is very important. It is a great thing to desire the unity that Jesus prayed for. But you can't just unite with any old group, no matter what they believe. That union has to be around the truth of God's Word. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying to a young church leader named Timothy. Paul said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So in other words, Paul is saying to Timothy and to the rest of the church, you've got to stay true to God's word. Unfortunately, though, that hasn't always happened. I kind of alluded to this last week, but there are groups today that call themselves a church, but they've gotten very, very far from the truth of Scripture. I'll even name one. Up in Canada, in the city of Toronto, there's a group called the West Hill United Church. The minister of that church is an avowed atheist, does not believe in God, does not believe in the Bible, And the denominational leadership over this church got wind of this, and they threatened to fire the minister. But then they got complaints, and this controversy dragged on for years. Just recently, they decided, fine, we give up. The atheist minister can stay. Now, when I'm talking about unity, (laughs) I don't mean that our church should unite with a church like that. They're so far from the pattern of Scripture that they've become something totally different, even though they still call themselves Christians. But if we wouldn't unite with that church, that creates a division, right? Well, yeah. So is it possible to pursue unity while at the same time being faithful to the pattern of Scripture? I will admit, that's not always easy. And churches like Plum Creek don't always get it right. But I am a part of this movement because I believe the goal is right. Plum Creek does not belong to a denomination. Uh, We're a part of this loosely connected group that's often called the Restoration Movement. And we call ourselves a Christian church because we want to identify with all Christians everywhere. In fact, that's one of the slogans of our movement. We are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. That statement reflects our commitment to unity. But the Restoration Movement has a few other slogans, too. One of them says, where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. Now, that statement reflects our commitment to Scripture, but you can also see that we don't want to build unnecessary walls If the Bible is silent on a particular issue, we need to give people the freedom to have different opinions. Like I said, the goal is to unify Christians around the truth of Scripture so that we can reflect the love of Christ and and be an answer to His prayer. I'll give you one more slogan that kind of brings this whole idea together. This one says, in essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, love. That's a good one, isn't it? That's a great concept. Now, I wanted to share a little of that spiritual heritage because I know that some of you may have been coming to Plum Creek for a while now, and you never heard anything about our background. 
But this is good to know because it explains a lot of what we do around here. Our sincere desire is to follow the pattern that God laid out for the church. That's why we aren't a part of a denomination that has a headquarters somewhere else with people making decisions that then get passed down to us. That's not what we see in the New Testament. In those early churches, we see congregations led by a group of elders, and each congregation is united with other Christians based on Jesus, based on the simple teaching of Scripture. So we want to follow that model. Wherever possible, we want to follow the New Testament pattern. That's why we have communion or the Lord's Supper every week. From what we read in the book of Acts, it looks like that's what the early Christians did. I'll give you another example. When someone wants to become a Christian and give their life to Jesus, you know what we do? We look across the New Testament and we see what people did when they accepted Christ. And when you do that, the pattern is very straightforward. First, a person hears the message of Jesus. And by the way, it's always a person who's old enough to understand it and make their own decision. Second, that person chooses to believe in Christ and put their faith in him. Third, the person agrees to repent or turn away from their old life of sin and turn toward God instead. To repent is just to change your life however God leads you to change it. Fourth, the person confesses or declares that Jesus is my Lord, my master. From that point on, Jesus is the one calling the shots. And fifth, we see that the person is baptized or immersed in water. The old self is dead and buried, and and the new person walks out of the water to, to live out this new identity in Christ. So if you ever wonder why we encourage people to respond to Jesus in these ways, it's simply because that's what we see in Scripture. You know, I think back to that video we saw a few minutes ago. I think about all those different ideas and opinions about Christianity and the church. So many people have a negative view of the church, not because of the original pattern as God designed it, but because people have twisted it into something that God never intended. Some have made the church way too complicated, and they've added all these unnecessary rules. Others have tried to turn Christianity into some self-centered thing that's really about the pursuit of health and wealth and prosperity. And then, of course, Some people have worked their way into positions of power in the church, and they abused that power, and they committed acts that are downright evil. There's no question that all of these things grieve the heart of God. But imagine this. Imagine that you are on a deserted island somewhere, and that you never even heard of Christianity, but then one day a Bible washes up on the shore, and you read it. Now, if Scripture was all you had to go on, imagine what your impressions would be. If you didn't have all that baggage of history and culture and your personal experience, and you just saw the simple message of Scripture, what would you think about Christianity? What would you think about the church? You know, this is something you can actually do. You can take a blank piece of paper and and sit down and write out what Scripture says about the church and just make a note of what's emphasized the most. Write down all of the expectations and commands that Jesus has given the church. That would be a fascinating exercise. And if you do that, I'd love to hear what you come up with. But I'll give you a head start. 
I know a couple of things that you will definitely find. First, in the New Testament church, the number one characteristic was love. Like I said earlier, they were known for this extraordinary love for God, for each other, and for others. But there's another thing that you'd find. The New Testament church had a message, and they just had to get this message out. They, they couldn't keep the good news of Jesus to themselves. In part, that's because Jesus commanded them to go share that news. In Matthew 28, Jesus told his followers, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the, of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So yes, that was a command, but you also get the sense that these early Christians didn't share the good news of Jesus out of mere obligation. They were compelled to share the gospel. After all, if they truly loved those who were outside the church, they, they wouldn't want them to miss out on Jesus, right? They wouldn't want them to miss out on salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. It just makes sense. So what about us here at Plum Creek? When it comes to the mission that Jesus gave us, are we following the biblical pattern? Well, again, that is our sincere desire. And when we ask what the church should look like, this has got to be a big part of the answer. When, when someone looks at the church, they should see a community that is constantly reaching out to others with the love of Christ, showing compassion, meeting needs, helping people get back to God. Most of you know that our mission at Plum Creek is leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we get that mission from what we just read in Matthew 28. I'd say that most of us here could recite those words from memory without any trouble. But we have to go beyond just memorizing a mission statement. The question is, what are we doing right now to pursue that mission? Every member of our church should be able to answer that. So let's make sure we're all up to speed here. And first, I should mention that at Plum Creek, we pursue our mission in three different ways. Next steps, stronger families, and transformed communities. This is our vision. This is what we believe that God has called us to do. I'll go through these one at a time. Number one, what do we mean by next steps? Well, our vision here is that we will guide everyone we meet to identify and take their next step closer to Christ. So let's get practical here. What are we doing right now at Plum Creek to help people take a step closer to Jesus? Well, there's a lot we could say. We could talk about life groups and any number of other things, but I want to mention just what happens here in the worship service. We know that we have visitors here every Sunday, and like all of us, each one of those visitors has a next step to take. That's why we invite people to respond to Jesus every week. That's why we have our Connection Cafe in the back of this room where you can stop and ask questions and find out where to go from here. So the Sunday morning worship service is a great starting point for anyone who's new to our church. And by the way, December is almost here. And the Christmas season is a huge opportunity to invite people to join us. You may have noticed the invitation card that's in your bulletin today. Um, you know, this invitation is not for you. You're already here. This is for someone you know who needs to be here. 
Our worship team has done a great job of planning the Christmas season this year. There will be special things happening every single week. So let's not miss this opportunity. People are extremely open to being invited to church this time of year. So this is what I'm talking about. Your next step may be inviting someone to be here with us at Plum Creek in December. And then when they get here, they'll have a chance to take their next step. This is happening all the time. And that's the first part of our vision. But very quickly, let's look at the other two. Stronger families. What is God calling us to do here? Well, this is our commitment. We will build stronger families by centering homes on Christ with a focus on marriages and the next generation. And Plum Creek is doing a lot in this area, but I'll share just one thing that's happening in less than two weeks. A couple years ago, our kids' ministry started hosting FX events. And FX stands for Family Experience. And the idea is to bring parents, children, and the church together. We want to build a strong partnership that will help us lead our children to Jesus. So on Saturday, December 1st, we're going to have an FX event called Jingle Jam. And this is going to be a lot of fun for families, but it's another great opportunity to invite people to join us. It's also part of a larger plan to center homes on Christ. It all goes back to our mission. Okay, so the third part of our vision is transformed communities. And what's that about? Well, here's the vision. We will transform communities by mobilizing people to show the compassion of Christ. And that may sound like a lofty goal, but that's definitely a part of who we are. You see it in our commitment to missions around the world. You also see it here locally with ministries like the Sharing Center and our involvement with Family Promise. But I want to close by telling you about one more thing that's coming soon at Plum Creek. Our December series is called Love Does. And you know, we can't just say love does without actually doing something. So we're going to come together as a church in December, and we're going to show God's love in a very practical way. There is a ministry called Wish that you'll be hearing about very soon. I won't say much at the moment. But we have an exciting opportunity to make a big difference in the lives of students who are living here in northern Kentucky. Every one of you will have the chance to get involved. On Sunday, December 16th, in the morning, uh, we're going to have a project for all of us right here in this building. And personally, I am super excited about what's coming. Those are the expressions of our mission. That's our, our vision, how we pursue the task that Jesus has given us. And I, that is one thing you should see when you look at the church. You should see a community of people pursuing the mission of Christ. You should also see a group of people who are committed to uniting the, the church together around the truth of Scripture. You should also see a group of people who are focused on those building blocks of that early community, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. It's been a lot of fun for me to dig into our question this week. And uh, that's a healthy thing to ask. What should the church look like? And I hope we're all more equipped to answer that question. But my greater desire is that we'll come together and we will live out the vision that God has laid out for us in his word. Let's pray. Father, uh, we do praise you and thank you for who you are today. We do thank you so much for Jesus. 
for grace, but I also thank you for your church, your idea and your plan to reach out to a, a broken world using broken people. It's an amazing thing. And God, we thank you for involving us in your work. But Lord, we know that uh, there have been a lot of times when the church hasn't gotten it right. And Lord, we want to repent of any time that we've departed from your pattern in our own lives as individuals and, and as a church as well. Lord, help us to, to be closer and closer to your original design of, of what the community of Christ followers should be and what we should look like. Help us to have that extraordinary love that can only come by your Spirit working in us. Lord, I pray that uh, we'll take steps in that direction by your power, even today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.